Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. Hello listeners, it's your black and white pick-me-up live and direct from the heart of London, live and direct from every single Fulham game. This is the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be a skip today. And while Fulham were wildly off-song against the festively inspired Robins, we are bang in tune tonight with a stellar lineup and a man that I imagine drank loads during Saturday's game and even more after it, Mr. Don Betts. Hello, hello. And when you need copious amounts of alcohol, they always say, call a Cooper. And I have my very own in tonight, Mr. George Coops. Hello, mate. How are you doing? Not too bad. How are you? I'm very well, thank Better you. Better than Fulham anyway. Yeah, yeah. I've, um, I've just about got over over this weekend's performance. Put it behind me, you know, onwards and upwards, as always. That's it. Well, we've, we, we can't really hold up too long because we're, we're back in action tomorrow night. Before that, though, let's do some three-word reviews. And Goops, you've got, you've got the goods. I do indeed. So we'll kick things off with our very own Sammy James with Robin, Robin, Robin Ref. Uh, Richard Bamba, as always, uh, he's chucked in with a few. We've got Jeremy Simpson, Masterclass. Uh, we've also got uh, Six Card Simpson. Um, Farrell Monk again added on crime uh, one from me big Bristol bogey uh, referring of course to the uh, bogey team I like team. how we've gone for the older the, the best performing <laughs> ones and they're <laughs> all us <laughs> I mean mine got absolutely zero like so uh, so that <laughs> rule doesn't one. apply for this one uh, Luke Retch referees are Robin um, I quite like this one uh, from Fulamato Ratman and Robin yeah I thought that was very yeah good. that was a good that one um and this one by Chris Chester, Anonymous first half is in Anonymous Anonymous. Very good. Uh, so combine the two. You have to really read that one to get the full impact. I don't think I've done it justice there. Could do as a title though. You never know. You'll get to you'll get to make a decision at, at the end, at the long end of this program. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, I think. I mean, well, let's start with it. it. It seems like a lot of chat and a lot of conversation and a lot of very very angry people online about the refereeing decision at the end and in some regards rightly so um it's a penalty i think it's the easiest way to deal with this um you know we had a few bristol city fans in the in the mentions with uh, pictures of tom daly and, and all sorts but at the end of the day tom this is a penalty kick well yeah what, what i don't get is it, it's not like a 50 50 decision where it could just be blown away cabano has either dived to win the penalty or he's been taken out by Callum O'Dowder. There's, there's no in-between here. So you either book him for diving or give the penalty straight away. And I don't see what Jamie Simpson is looking at to think play on. Yeah, I, that's, that's, yeah. That's, that's my biggest gripe with it. I don't get what he's seen to think of oh, there's no, nothing here at all and we're just going to completely play on here. There, there is absolutely no reason for Niskins Cabano to go down in that situation. And I think it was just... A compl- it was a terrible decision. Even even the Sky News coverage was, was saying it was a stonewall penalty. I think everyone in the stadium, bar the ref, was under that impression well, the as back, well. The centre back thought it was given. You could see his hands. The like, right, and, yeah, exactly. It was. They all were looking very sheepish after it, and uh, the ref just completely lost it and was dishing out cards left, right, and centre. And I feel like he, he's going to look back on that performance and and, and think, oh, I've, I've made a really big, uh, really big, big cock up there. Something that's kind of got to me, and, and Dom and I were discussing this just beforehand, is it seems to have glossed over the, the penalty thing, the whole fact that Fulham were actually really quite poor. For, for long periods of the game on Saturday. And I think it's something that we maybe need to call back to because in all this chaos and madness and shouting at Jeremy Simpson and all of these things, 
we've basically forgotten that we just weren't very good and probably didn't deserve anything out of the game because Bristol outplayed us yeah, for no. long periods of it. And and that's, I think, what I want to come back to here. We, we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that we weren't very good. Yeah, I mean, I feel like people often find comfort in the fact that we were robbed from a penalty the yeah, last minute. And, uh, and, and you can't really blame them. We, were, we weren't good enough. Bristol City deserved to win. And bar the last kind of 15 minutes where we looked lively and Cabana came on and Kamara came on and we looked like, you know, we were sort of knocking on the door. Uh, we didn't really... We, lack of ideas, um, lack of creation going forwards. And yeah, I mean, make no two ways about it. Bristol City deserved to, deserved to win this game, unfortunately. However, having said that, I'm not... I'm not it's one of those... You, ha- you have those days where things just aren't going your way and things aren't clicking. Yeah, yeah. I think tactically, we, we were set up wrong from the off. I think the, the lineup. Um, well, we were in the pub together when the lineup came out. Yeah. And, and we were like, why is Onama and Knockout starting? It, it was, it was, that was the first mistake. And, uh, and then I thought the changes that effectively changed our outlook and, and made us look like a better side came too late. So it was, I think, overall, if you were to put the blame on why we lost this game the lineup was wrong and then we'd made the changes too late and a very sort of a calculated performance from Bristol City they knew what they needed to do yeah Dom I was going to bring this back in terms of we've looked at these four wins uh, under Scott before this game and there was a lot of hype and a lot of people getting very very excited that we won four on the trot and you know reasonable because 12 points out of 12 is nothing to be sniffed at especially in the championship including a local derby a tough trip to Swansea all those things but we always kind of thought that the the big games were ahead you know these this one Preston Brentford Leeds these are the four games that really show you where Fulham are in this table and actually what we're capable of there was a lot of oh you know the the the, the mood after Hull and Stoke was very much is Parker the right man the mood after QPR was Scott Parker sorted it out again the mood after Swansea was like we're going up is this a just a bring us back down to earth moment is this we're not as good as we thought I think it is I think it's often forgotten that how we haven't exactly been convincing in all four of these wins. I'm thinking Birmingham was, you know, I'm not saying we were lucky to win that game, but it was not not much in that game. No. The QPR game, until we got back in the game through Kamara's header, we were quite poor. You know, QPR could have easily been two or three nil up in that game. Swansea, I thought we were very lucky to go in half time two nil up. I thought, it, if anything, they were the team who deserved to be in the ascendancy. Derby, you can probably say, is the only game which had been convincing, but they're in dire straits. And obviously, they lost to Blackburn on the weekend. So. I think that I'm not saying these four wins are papered over cracks, but I think it's made people think maybe we're better than we actually are. And I think it shows how poor the league is that we are still third. I understand it's only on goal difference, obviously to Bristol City, I want to say, but yes. like it, it shows you it's this weekend is sort of showing with, with Leeds win at Huddersfield and with West Brom's demolition at Swansea, you know, we against against these teams, we didn't do that. I know, honestly, we beat Huddersfield and we got a result against Swansea, but they've shown that they are kind of a bit above the rest at the moment. And I think that we need to make sure we just stay within the t- not t- when I say touchiness, I mean basically within you know five to five to eight points probably off off, off the team in second because you know we still got to play Leeds twice this season. So I think that's that's a that's the thing you got to remember. We're still going to play West Brom when we travel to their place. I'm not saying we're going to win these games, but we still got opportunities to grab points off the, the yeah. top the two above us. And I, but I think it did sort of bring Fulham fans back down to earth. But I don't think the lineup helped. I think. I don't understand my issue. Obviously, people will talk about Honor and you know, is he any good apart from making sure he's not available for a pass? But I think that what I didn't understand is what Scott Parker saw in the Swansea game, which made him think I'm going to start him again. Understand him? You could argue maybe there's no one else to play there, for for example. But 
I just I just didn't see the lineup working from the off. You know, Knockart has been very very poor recently. You know, even when Cabano came on, he showed him up. To be honest, yeah, you know, yeah. He, look, he looked very very direct. And he was he was getting the ball into a better position a lot quicker than Knockart would. You know, Kamara came on, gets another goal. So, yeah, I think. I, I, I want to say it papered over cracks, but I, I think I agree with you where it maybe just brings Fulham fans back down to earth that, yes, we are a top team in this league, but we're not quite top two standard quite yet. Yeah, absolutely. George, Onoma's got a lot of stick and, and much of it rightly so. You know, he, he wasn't very good at Swansea. He did win the ball back for the second goal and then, you know, obviously that class assist for Mitrovic. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, of course. But also, you know, I, I don't think he was wildly worse than quite a lot of our other players. We, we didn't play very well kind of back to front yeah. in the first half. And he got a lot of abuse, and I, I kind of thought maybe you know it's just a bit of you get you give a bit more you know leg room to to your Hanson to Kenny who you know have the goods and have been producing them for years, and and obviously a new signing who hasn't proved his worth really in any sort of sense yet, but he's also still getting back to fitness. I just think it's been a little bit over the top, if, if I'm being perfectly honest. It, it seems like he's been beaten or, or put in with a with a yardstick very very early on in his career, and and yes, he hasn't produced much going forward yet. But you know he's two games in to yeah. his Fulham career. Yeah, no, I so I totally agree with you, and I'm I'm a little bit um, hesitant to throw too much criticism his way. I know that I, I'm no, I have thrown um, thrown criticism his way on this podcast. He should before. be he should be criticised when he doesn't play well. But yeah, I don't think it's the end. But of I mean, him. exactly. I I totally agree with your sentiment in that I feel like he's become a, a scapegoat almost to, before he's even sort of got going. We've, we've had a chance to really see what he's worth. I've, I would argue that maybe Scott Parker's been too liberal in using him and maybe he just needs to, you know, regain some confidence in training and I feel like he's been chucked in at the deep end when perhaps he's not quite... We've got to remember he's only like 22 or something and we're talking about an England, uh, he played at under 21 level uh, or was it under 18 level? But I mean, he's a he's an youth inter- international. Yeah, yeah, youth international football player so there's obviously something there uh, and I just, I do feel like he needs a little bit of time and I feel like there is potential there but I agree we haven't particularly seen it um, and to add to your point about it was he wasn't necessarily even the worst. I mean, uh, Anthony Knockup, I feel like the only explanation I can think of uh, as to why he was included is Scott has said to him, look, you've been dropped for the last few games. This is your chance to, you know, really hit your ground running and get your stride back. And then again, I think if you're going to bring him in for that purpose of like, look, show me what you're made of. Again, it was way too soon because it was only recently that he was getting, as you said, it's been awful form recently. So yeah. you've got to give it a bit more time. And also to drop Kamara, who's been in... Exactly. Silly, well, look, well, and you didn't think you'd hear me say this. It's yeah, insulating yeah. form. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's madness. You don't, you don't do that at all. Um, so I feel like if you had to lay the blame on anyone uh, in particular, I, 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 would, I can't, can't see much past the squad selection. Rather than individual player performances, uh, which you would be led to believe if you were to go off how people have been talking about the game on Twitter. Also on that point, if they are going to point out an individual, people will obviously talk about Knockout and and, and, um, Josh Onoma, but I think Joe Bryan has to come in for some criticism. Yeah, Because, yes, he seems like a lovely bloke, but that doesn't matter when he's he's letting, not letting in a lot of goals, maybe that's a bit too harsh, but there is a lot of goals which are coming down his left-hand side. And I think it is time the loving kind of stopped and people kind of realise that how many goals are coming down his side. You can't just always put that on the left hand, left uh, side of centre-back and say, oh, it should be closer. Joe Bryan should be coming in for some criticism, which for some reason he hasn't done. No, I think you're right. And look, we actually got quite a lot of questions about Joe Bryan. We put our questions to you earlier. This from Michael. He said, is Joe Bryan overrated? Far too many goals come from his area of the pitch. I think that there is something here. And there's also something in the fact that Joe Bryan doesn't have 
any competition. That's that's. I think that is the biggest problem. He hasn't got anyone who's going to push him. You know, you've got Maxime Lamarchal, and then that's about it. Unless you move Dennis Adoy to the other side and bring in Cyrus Christie or Stephen Session on to play right back. So I think that is the biggest problem. He's not being pushed to play to the very best because he knows his position in the side. If he's fit, he's going to play. Absolutely. I was going to come on to the two the two Bristol City goals. You know, they obviously don't come from the same side mm. in that in that kind of sense, but. What they did both do was they sliced through us with very little pressure uh, and were given two reasonably sensible or easy finishes in the middle of the box to just, you know, basically tuck it away. And and that being that, and, you know, we were sliced through, not a will, I think that would be too harsh. They didn't create that much outside of the, the different goals. But you know, when they did get through to the byline, and when they got to the byline and put the ball into the middle, we looked like we were at sixes and sevens again. And after what has been some better defensive performances, this wasn't one of them, George. Oh, uh, absolutely not. I'd have to agree. It was, as you said, it wasn't as if they were knocking at the door all game and completely dominated us with you know 18 shots on target. That wasn't the case. They were very calculated, hit us on the break, and as you said, sliced us open. Their second goal, unmarked man on the back post. You, yeah. you can't, you where, can't be doing where that in is, the championship. Where is Dennis Adoy? I know. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Mm. It, it's just one of those where you start to worry about, and Dennis has been good in the last couple of games, and, and suddenly you know he's just abandoned his man who's just stood there. And the other thing about that is we kind of get the ball clear. You know, the first attack comes, we get rid of it, and then suddenly they just get the ball down, play through us, and she's just standing there, and he's like, I'll just wait here until the team <laughs> catch up with me, it appears, and, and suddenly he has that tap in. It's a very strange goal in, in, in some senses because it, it looks like we should clear it. Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, you can look at it one or two ways. You can you can look at it as a very well-worked goal from Bristol City or you can look at it as a calamitous offensive error from Fulham. It depends on which way you are inclined. I feel like overall these last few games, our, our defence has been good and it's been showing signs of improvement. Yeah. And I don't think that you can look at these goals and think, oh, well, we were we were wrong to think that the no, whole no, time. So yeah, I, th- I think the Joe Bryan point is more of a pattern than opposed to this just game in particular. Yeah. It's just there's been another goal of this game which has sort of come down the left-hand side. But we pointed out in many, many podcasts, I think we first started it, was it after the Stoke game? Where someone pointed out how many goals are coming down, or that's like our weak spot in between there and it. In between the cent- in between Ream and Brian, yeah, it's a massive weak spot. And then we were discussing, spot. oh, is it Brian going too far forward? Is it Ream not coming across and covering him? Is but, it a bit of both? <laughs> yeah, I think you got it is a bit of both, but I th- yeah, but it is becoming a bit too much of a pattern now. But then again, it's it maybe it is not not just necessarily coming in on that left hand side, but the gaps between our fullbacks and our centre backs because it's not as much as a fluid fullback system as it was obviously under Slavisa with Target and Frederick so yeah, maybe they haven't quite understood what their roles are in when it's then tracking back again but yeah it is it is weirdly enough that I know you can probably say this about any team but when you're looking at the goals we concede how many of them is just down to individual brilliance from the opposition or great play How and, and how many times is it just down to poor defending from us yeah I think there's something in what you've just said about the, the two fullbacks under Slavisa we knew exactly what the fullbacks mm. were doing we're what 10, 14 games into this season. And I have no... With the same fullbacks, I mean. And I have no idea what the fullbacks are supposed to be doing. Mm. I, I don't know if our fullbacks are meant to get on and deliver. I don't know if they're meant to sit tight. I don't know if they're meant to cut inside. We've seen elements of loads of different things. And we said that Scott Parker's variation might be a string to his bow. But... I don't know if our fullbacks know what they're supposed to be doing in both an attacking and defensive sense. I, I don't know if they, they're they clear. You know, when, when Fredericks went forward, you knew exactly what he was going to do. Mm. Maybe too much. You know, maybe yeah. a little bit. If he didn't hit the byline, he didn't have anything else. But you knew exactly what Fredericks was offering you. 
I don't know what Dennis Adoy is going to do every time he gets the ball. I don't know what Joe Bryan is going to do every time he gets the ball. And that does worry me in some regards. Yeah, but I think you can counter that with the fact that Ryan Fredericks was a very one-dimensional player. A Good. great player, and he did a fantastic job for us, but very one-dimensional. You know, he's, got, he's blistering down the byline. He's got that exceptional pace. So you could argue that you know he knew what he's doing because that was the only thing that he could effectively do. With Adoy, again, his unpredictability, I think, is something that is one of the reasons why the Fulham fans love him so much because you do, don't know what he's going to do. But then on the flip side, he gets caught out of defence. And then Joe Bryan, when he does go forwards, we get um, exposed on the left. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it depends what style you want this Fulham team to play. Do you want attacking full-backs or wing-backs and then be more sort of defensively vulnerable? Or do you want to see a solid back four and then, you know, get less goals from from those outlets. I think the biggest one problem of those... is with the like, Harrison-Reed injury, I think, has made a, played a massive part in this. Yeah, absolutely huge. Be- because Johansson isn't like McDonald and Reed, where once you know the fullbacks are going forward, he's going to drop back and sit in. That's not what Stefan Johansson is going to do. So I think it is this whole problem, which we have seen a bit more defensively in recent games, is also down to Harrison-Reed, and it showed how important to have that solid holding midfield is going to be. We saw that with Ken McDonald when we got promoted and we've seen that with Harrison Reid when he's been out of the side this season. Do we have a timeline for Harrison Reid's expected return or are we you know, still in the well, dark? They seem terrible. Fulham have seemed terrible at the moment releasing injury news. We, like, we were discussing this on the, on the pod a few weeks back, weren't we? There was like a little footnote about Stephen Sessignon coming back from injury. We were like, what? He's been injured. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah, we just all thought he was uh, just dropped. Yeah, yeah. Like, cool, thanks. I mean, who knows? Who knows? So, fair enough. Well, I think we should probably finish this on some positive news. Niskas Cabano came on and absolutely changed the game. And we haven't seen Niskas Cabano in ages. You know, obviously makes the goal, should have won a penalty, hits the bar. You know, it was it was like seeing a new man. And obviously compared to how dull Knockout had been throughout the game, it was really nice to see Cabano back in and, and, and back doing things. Yeah, uh, everyone knows how much I love Niskas Cabano. And I think I think people often forget how much what he offers. I, I often think that, you know, Floyd Eite, when we had him, he would like try to do too much, whereas Niskan's Cabano, in a different way to Kamara, is just very direct of what he does. And if you look at all the goals Niskan's Cabano has scored for us, they're not like well worked wonder goals. He just happens to be in the right place at the right time, or snapshots, snapshots, yeah, scuffs it in. You know, if you think think about that goal. I think they think about that one against Wigan. I think he scored one against Sheffield Wednesday. I think people forget what he can offer us, and you know, I think he's you. You could you could look at him after Caviero and argue, see, he's our only winger that we've got there. Yes. And I think he, he's got a part to play. And for me at the moment, after, after that show, he's done more than knockouts done in the last six weeks. Absolutely. It was just nice to see him back in the squad. Yeah, know? yeah, absolutely. And I've got, um, I've got insider knowledge from the, from the Fulhamish camera, from the Fulham camera, should I say, which I can't really delve into too much. But apparently he's an absolute legend. You know, his attitude is always fantastic. And even when he's gone long spells out of favour, all he wants to do is for the best of the team. And, you know, he works really hard in training. And whenever he's called upon, he just gets involved. And I think we saw that on on Saturday and I mean hopefully I mean there's another out loud field so hopefully we can um, we can bring him in when he's needed what he does so well is he shifts the ball out of his feet and just gets it away yeah. and you know we saw it with the cross we saw it out wide we saw it for the you know the shot for the goal it's just something that not, no one else really offers his you know his control in tight spaces his ability to kind of just shake a man and get something away has, has always been kind of top notch and Yes, it didn't really work out in the Premier League, but back in the Championship, he's definitely a weapon to have in the in the in the Arsenal. Yeah, he's got a fantastic balance and fantastic acceleration from standing. So that's I think how he gets to pull off those those tricks. And he, yeah, it's what he is. He's a tricky winger, isn't he? So it's definitely a good sort of weapon to have in our Arsenal. And I I 
be um, I'll be sad if we don't see him utilised again. Absolutely. I mean, he put himself very much in contention for a start against well, yeah, Preston. You saw, you saw how dangerous it was to have Mitrovic. Obviously, he had a fairly quiet game for his standards, but have him with having someone like Cabana and someone like Kamara working off him. Because it, it's totally different to when you have Caviero and Knockout. Uh, yes, Caviero is, is, is a quick winger, but you know the directness of, of Kamara and Cabana, I think, works well off Mitrovic. Maybe it's not something that would necessarily work from the start of the game, but I do think with, Kam- with Kamara starting with Mitrovic and you know Caviero, whatever, bringing Cabano on for them, one of them, would just completely change the game, I think. We, we, we always assume that you know Kamara was our only impact player off the bench that we had who could probably you know change the way we're playing, but Cabano definitely changed that opinion on the weekend. It sort of begs the question where, where he's been. Is he, He's literally just been out of favour. Parker's not rated him and he's... he's Forced his way into the plans. Exactly. I mean, also, I guess there's pressure on you when you sign a Cavalero, when you sign a yeah. knockout, when then Kamara comes in and, and does what he did against QPR, that he's kind of forced his way into the, into the setup and... And Cabano had to wait for that opportunity, but that opportunity has clearly now arrived. Mm. And, and he's taken it, I think, with, with both hands. So that's good. Well, we'll see if he starts against Preston and we'll be getting on to our visit to Lancashire after the break. If you enjoy Fulhamish and listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please consider giving us a positive rating and review. It really helps us to reach new Fulham fans across the world. If you don't use Apple but want to give us a review, head to the Fulhamish Facebook page and give us a rating there instead. Thank you. How does free beer sound to you? Well, as a loyal listener to Fulhamish, we'd like to reward you with just that, free beer. It's thanks to our friends at beer52.com who are giving you the opportunity to sip 10 free exclusive craft beers from all around the world. All you need to do is go to beer52.com slash Fulham and cover the £4.95 for the postage. So you will get sent 10 craft beers the very next day. All you need to do is cover that postage. Now, if you don't know about Beer 52, they are beer pioneers. They traverse the globe to find the best and most interesting beers from the greatest small batch breweries that planet earth has to offer each month beer 52 will deliver a case with a different theme past themes have included germany korea norway and many more but they're also passionate about the uk craft beer scene too beer 52 don't hold you to ransom there's no lock-in and you can leave anytime your first box will be sent to you the very next day so to take advantage of this deal just go to beer52.com slash fulham that's beer52.com slash fulham and get your first case of 10 craft beers for free all you need to do is cover the postage that's beer52.com forward slash fulham welcome back to the fulhamish podcast i'm jack collins i'm joined by george cooper hello and don pet hello hello we're going to talk preston very briefly who don't haven't been in very good form recently although they still find themselves seventh in this table yeah i think when we're looking at this game maybe you know Coming out of the November international break, we were like, oh, this is going to be a tough game on a Tuesday night presser and in really good form. But ever since that international break came out, this sort of happened, what happened to us when we came out of the October international break, where they can't seem to win a game at the moment. Obviously, they did get very unlucky in that game um, against West Brom. But yeah, I think, I'm not saying it's a good time to play Preston, but also, if anything... It's a good time to play Preston. Yeah, but, <laughs> but also, what Bristol City are to us is what we like to Preston. Yeah, we're just... just As in, we always team. win at their gaff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there, there was also we beat him on a we beat him on a, on a midweek night before when the most one of pretty most undeserved wins of all time. I think Dembele and McCormack, and we won two one in that game. Yeah. I think McCormack scored early on, then Dembele, Dembele put us back in the lead. We've had that one which was his second game in the season when Kenny ran through the entire team. Then goalkeeper parody and Matt Smith scores. You know, with the Mitrovic last minute winner. So we we have got a good record there, but not like we we trounce them like Bristol City tend to do to us. But yeah, no, I think it's it it's a, I'm a lot more confident going to this game, even though we did lose on the weekend. 
But it, I'm a lot more confident going to this game as opposed to when I was looking at this game as we went into the November international break. Yeah, I mean, look, George, if you look at the last four results, Queen's Park Rangers beat them 2-0 at, their, at Loftus Road at the weekend, and we know how bad QPR were for mm. long spells against us. Um, they lost 1-0 to West Brom in that game that they probably didn't deserve to lose, but they didn't create an awful lot in either. Mm. You know, It was just a, a very poor game. And then they lost 4-0 to Hull, which we have no right to laugh at. But, and they <laughs> lost 1-0 to Derby, which we have all well, rights to if you look, If you're looking yeah. at that, it looks like, going forward, is some some reason... now They haven't become, scored a goal in four games. Know, it's now become their problem. I mean, if you're letting QPR keep a clean sheet against you, there's definitely something wrong. Yeah. Uh, but but then you, you're looking at Preston like earlier on in the season as like one of the top scorers in the division. Yeah, but I mean, their top scorer, as you is mentioned, George, Daniel is Daniel Johnson, Johnson yeah. who is so, a yeah. defensive midfielder <laughs> yeah. who just scores penalties. So there's maybe that. I mean, Barkheisen's still there. Barkheisen always scores against us. Yeah. He loves it. And, and we've wanted him for so long. There are, you know, goals in this team. Josh Harrop's there, the former Man United kid. Shawnee Maguire's just coming back from injury, and we know he can score. Um, but, yeah, it's just got to be something that we're going to look at as we can win this game now rather than, uh, oh, we have to go to Preston on a Tuesday night, and that's scary and you know, traumatic. Yeah, having said that, though, we have been exceptional in midweek games. We love so the lights. As long as it's not at home and it's three o'clock on a Saturday, we're perfectly fine. Yeah. We, we, so we said we haven't won a yeah. um, three o'clock home game since Blackburn, was yeah, it? We actually got an email. August. We got an email saying from Ian Pryor, who said, in 11 3pm league kickoffs thus far this season, we've taken just 10 points at an average of 0.9 per game. In evening kickoffs, we've taken 25 points at an average of 2.8 per game. That is nuts. That is crazy. Are we like vampires? If you analyse our 3pm just home games, obviously we beat Blackburn and we weren't that good in that game. Then obviously we lost to Nottingham Forest, we drew to West Brom, we lost to Hull City and now we lost to Bristol City. So we've definitely the home 3 o'clock games. There's definitely something to it. There's got to be. If you're winning, you're 2.8, so nearly winning every single midweek game or even an evening game. And then when it comes to Saturday 3 o'clock, you just don't know what you're doing. So... And again, I think going into Preston, I'm, I'm always confident going there just because we always seem to get a result. And as long as it's not as nervy as the last time we went there with the Mitrovic last-minute header. Yeah, it was good limbs, though, at the steepest ground of, the, of all time. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> I think on the highlights, you can just see me attempting to go down a few rows of steps, but it doesn't really work. It's just really like scary. The Coliseum, isn't it? Yeah, it's really scary trying to fall down those steps at Deepdale. Um, yeah, I mean, how would you start, George? This is kind of the last question, I suppose, on this one before we move it on to our question section. Um, well, the first change I would make is in centre-mids. As you probably would have guessed, I'd I start with Johansson. I feel like you need what he offers um, for this game on the on the break, and also just breaking up play from the opposition. Those sort of niggly little sort of fouls in the middle that I feel like you did, are in, really important when you go away to stop that pressure. Um, and then obviously Kearney and Decker David Reed if he's if he's available, um, I'd go with him. Uh, and if then he's I'd, not would be my caveat because obviously we talked about Onoma and, and maybe it's a bit early, but. Who do you play in the middle if Bobby Reed is is still injured or um, is unavailable? Uh, and Harrison Reed's unavailable. Yeah. And Harry Arter. Yeah, Harry Arter's close There's as well. <laughs> um, I think in this, it's it's a to- if you assume that Harrison Reed's unavailable, it's a toss up for me between McDonald and Arter. I, I feel like I've I've been quite critical of Arter on this on this pod, but you know maybe he deserves a chance to sort of show that he can can be um, the championship Busquets. Yeah, the championship Busquets and, and not just a complete liability. So, oh yeah, what's the situation with Arter? He's available. He, he looks available like he's to play. just a, well, he's just again like Reed. They were like he's going to have a fitness test. They obviously both failed yeah. for the weekend, but at least they were in contention, which suggests they're close. Yeah, I w- if it comes down to a question of our only 
fit centre mids are Kevin McDonald or Josh Arnold. I'd go for Kevin McDonald in this situation. I think my point my point with it is that obviously yeah you got Kenny Hansen then if Harrison or Bobby Deckard over Reed ain't fit then. For me, there is no reason to play Onoma or give Onoma a chance, but not give Matt O'Reilly a chance. Yeah, I was going to say this. O'Reilly obviously came in, did well in that game against Southampton. He was probably the best player on the park. Been on the bench last few games. It seems like a a reasonable place. My point is, obviously, you'd expect him to be playing the number eight role and then Kearney obviously to be more advanced midfielder because that's where he's sort of been retrained in his... Obviously, when he first came through, he was seen as a Kearney-like player as a number 10, but obviously he's been playing a lot deeper, but... If you're going to play Onoma, there's no reason why you shouldn't play Matt O'Reilly. I, there's nothing to really separate them from what I've seen. Yes, he, not, Onoma might have a better reputation. Well, maybe not like Fulham fans now, but I just don't. I just, I, I'd like to see Matt O'Reilly given a proper chance. Or if you want a player to be playing further forward, Della Torre. Like I just think that Onoma, in the chances he's been given, yes, they've been few, but. He hasn't really shown anything. Yeah. There's no reason. It's not like Matt O'Reilly's five foot six and very slim. He's, he's a tall bloke. I think he's six foot two. Yeah, he's a big fella. Yeah, he's he's definitely got the, got the physicality. Whenever he's played, he's looked good. You know, remember that game we lost in a cut to Bristol Bristol Rose a few years ago. He was the only player that came out of the game with any credit. Yep. So and, and Southampton this year. Yeah, I, I I'm not against the idea of playing Matt O'Reilly in this game if Harrison Reed and Bobby Decordover Reed aren't fit. Who do you play wide of Mitrovic? Would you start? Come. Uh, yeah, Kamara. Yeah, Kamara. And... I still would sit with Cavalera, I think. Yeah, I just I think agree. I just think if you got, I don't think Knockout and Caviero players you can bring on who are going to make an impact. Whereas I liked, whereas I think Caviero can offer enough from the start, and then if it's not working, you can bring Cabano on his directness will then work off the bench. You don't want to have your your impact players playing and then have nothing to bring off the bench if it's not working. No, I completely agree. Right, let us get on to some questions. This one's from Tom Hopkins on email. He says, who from the current squad would you be happy starting the opening Premier League game with next season? All right, right, Tom, a little bit forward. Um, But where do we need to straighten? It's a fair question. And how can our tactics adapt to Premier League without us playing kamikaze-style football again? George, I'm going to start with you. Yeah, well, that was our defining problem last year in that we, with Savisa, our uh, our setup was to outscore the opposition, and then in the Premier League, you're just not going to be able to do that. And we we didn't adapt, and that's why we we were so awful and went and went down in the way that we did. I think the importance are for teams such as us is that you know that you're not going to get that many chances. The chance that you do get, you need to take. So you've just got to set up. I, I hate to say it because it's going to take away from this this idea of this Fulhamish style of play, but you've got to you've got to start with the back. Because if you're letting in goals, you sure as hell aren't going to get as many chances as you are in the championship. It's just a completely different well, league. Look at Sheffield regard. United this season. Yeah, yeah. They don't concede many goals. No. If they do concede in a game, it's never going to maybe more than once or twice. Mm. That, that, that's where you've got to start. So I would argue, if we were to go up, uh, we'd we'd have to have a have a long hard look at our, our defenders. I mean, Reem, bless him, like we massive fan favourite, love him to bits. But whether or not he'd hold up in the Premiership, we showed last year, arguably no. Uh, Mawson, I, I feel like he's a bit of an enigma. It's, it, there's obviously something there, but I still feel like we haven't seen the the best of you know what what he's supposedly capable of. Um, so and, and the closest thing we probably came was maybe December last season. 
when I think obviously we've got that, that first clean sheet in away point away at Newcastle yeah. when there was that draw against Wolves and obviously got injured but I think that was the only time we've really seen him possibly get close to what we saw when he was on the verge of the England squad and he was very unlucky with the injuries that he got and he was, it felt like he was, it was quite cruel in the fact that he was never allowed to fully hit his stride and hit I think form. he only played like 18 or games last season yeah no it was it was unfortunate um, it's those of players looking Mitrovic is obviously dead say he's proven that he's Premier League quality and capable of getting goals at that level Kenny is is that age old question, isn't it? Is he is he a um, is he good enough to be quality in the champ in the in the Premier Premiership? I think, I think Tom Kenny would be more than more than okay in a team that had more defensive structure mm. about it. I mean, I think he got a bit lost in the Premier League the first time round, but I don't think we see those mistakes happen again. I think the question I was going to pose to both of you was that we've had our questions over Scott, and and I'm still confused a little bit tactically about exactly how he sets up and all these things. But the one thing I'm absolutely sure of is that he's not as kamikaze or as stubborn as Slavisa Kanovic was. And while that might be a bad thing in the championship, and I think it, it might be, it might not be in the Premier League because it allows you to set up a little bit more pragmatically. Yeah, I think if, if, as, if we're looking at just the players, I wouldn't have any, I wouldn't have Rodak or the back four. I would say, I would argue, need better. Well, I mean, uh, the, the question is, would... Would uh, Michael Hector come in and would he be a starting player in the Premier League? It's possible. Well, well, yeah, so no, I haven't really seen him Morse, play for us. Mawson might have the... Yeah, the Mawson, possibly, but I, again, Rodak is a good keeper. I don't think he's Premier League quality. If we're comparing his level to Sergio Rico, which we saw last season, you know, I don't, I don't, don't not having Brian in the Premier League, he wasn't that good last season. You know, Adoy, Ream, I think Ream's just passed it, as you said. I'm looking at midfield, probably, probably Kearney, and then Harrison Reed could probably do a job, maybe, but... That's if, and then you got Mitrovic, and then yeah, like it's. Have uh, I can Cavalero be perfectly fine? Yeah, it league. would be, but I'm just thinking, you know, from what I saw last season, there isn't many. So it's fine because we'd have a uh, we'd have the big man coming back <clears throat> in the middle. What Zambo? Big Zambo. <laughs> oh, not this again. Yeah, King Z- King Zambo returning to <laughs> yeah. run the midfield. He's trying for return. The prodigal son returns. after bossing it for Villarreal for a year. Um, okay, let's move on to some other questions. Lawrence Craven says, "At what point do we just start taking more risks with our team selection and do a slav by outscoring other teams, or do you think Scotty has the balance right?" Dom? I think, I think the problem the, the problem is we don't quite have a style. I think that's the that's your biggest problem. Slavisa had a had a style from the outset, albeit it took a while for it to work and come to fruition. But I you can't pin on what Scott Parker's ideal what his tactical setup is. Yes, you understand we're playing either a four three three or four two three one, but I couldn't say oh we've got bombing wing backs, we've got inside forwards, we've got you know holding mid, uh, creative deep line creative and a number ten. I just think that we just have good players yeah we have quite <laughs> we, no we do have quite I'm not saying it's square pays in round holes yeah no no but that is it we do have good players there's no like there's nothing that suggests to me that those players are being drilled tactically like, in more like sort re- of stress. rectangular pegs in square holes <laughs> I do right. I, I okay. do feel as if Scott Park has got a um, he's got a He's already at a deficit because he's he's an unproven manager. This is his first full season in charge. He's constantly learning. And there's there's always going to be questions there because you just yeah. don't have that track record to compare it to. Even if we go up, there's going to be questions of, oh, OK, you got to start, but is he going to be able to pull it off in the in the Premier League? I I feel like the one thing that you've got to give him credit for is that he seems to be learning and adapting his style as the results sort of unfold. And he's he's not afraid to kind of change things up. And I feel like we will we will find that style and we always have like 
once we once it all sort of like kicks into motion but yeah do, do you know what I mean in that no, because because right. there's nothing to compare to there's always going to be questions over Scott Parker and I think there will continue to be until we're sort of like it, unless we've had three consistent seasons of fantastic results people are always going to be second guessing and questioning I feel like you just got to roll with the punches a bit at the moment absolutely I, for all this I'm not advocating that we get rid of Parker I yeah. actually think it would be a really bad idea for us to switch managers I might, might not have put him in as a permanent in the first place but I don't think that at this point, switching managers would do he, he anything should, to help cohesion yeah, no, he's, or any he's, of those He's hundred percent got the time to the end of the season. Yeah, I, I think that that's fair enough. But yeah. it, the question is, what what I'd like to see is just some sort of like, you know, uh, adaptability to to some sort of system that then seems to, you know, look. You look at what, where it worked before. You looked at the things that were positive in, in the Derby game, the Swansea game, and start to kind of work with those things to to make a more consistent yeah, all, all, Fulham side. All the positives mm. from the the four wins, I didn't see those. In the tactical setup against Bristol, precisely, yeah. and and that's I suppose. But you're completely right. And it's something I've said before in terms of he is starting, and and very much you look at the Barnsley game, and then you looked at the games afterwards, and you went, okay, Parker's realised that didn't work. It's important for him to mm. therefore like burn on. But we are going to have these games where he gets outmaneuvered. It's just a question of whether he can then take those lessons and move them on yeah, going forward. Precisely. And look, you've got the other added um, edge to this argument in that when you look at our squad on paper the best squad in the league people are saying well we should be walking it which I feel like is almost like a bit of a sort of it sounds ridiculous saying in terms of Scott Parker he's going to be judged more critically because we should be going up given that I the don't players think we've got the got. best squad in the league I would I would argue that I said, it's up, it's I said arguably Jack yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no 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 but I think that that would be my response I yeah. think I think we've definitely in the top three mm. but I don't think it is the best squad. And also, it's a squad that necessarily doesn't necessarily been together for, for long periods. Yeah. It's not like you look at uh, like Bristol squad, for example. Yes, they've had additions and, and kind of ups and downs. But on the whole, a lot of that squad has been together for a long, long time. Yeah. And, and they've built a kind of rapport and they know exactly what they're doing and all those things. Whereas we're kind of still on the fly about yeah. quite a lot of this. And, and then that's kind of going to always take its toll. Mm, absolutely. We... I've said it time and time again, Fulham slow starters and then after Christmas, that's when we seem to hit our stride. After we've had that long string of games where the games are very densely packed and then we've got a chance to, I mean, permitted we stay injury free to, to gel a bit. I'm I'm still very hopeful for this side for the rest of the rest of the season and I'm I'm not getting you know, I'm not letting this I feel like it was a blip on Saturday. Okay, a couple of quick fire questions and Dom I'm gonna start with you. This is from Alex Pure Power. He says with Saturday's travesty in mind, what is the angriest you have felt while watching Fulham? <laughs> um, is this ever? Yeah. <laughs> well, the game that most people point to, like, frankly, I, I, I wasn't at, which is obviously the Brentford, was it 4-0? 3-0. Yeah, so I wasn't at that. But I think that's a, uh, with a lot of Fulham fans, that's when they've felt the most angry. I was speaking. If I'm going to point at any game, it was probably that midweek Bolton away game. I want to yeah. say it was 15-16. But it, it could have easily been any season. It was when there was like 120 Fulham fans there. Like we all travelled to Butwin on a Tuesday night, and then the fans don't come over. Like I rarely get angry about performances because I just move on and I'm moving on to the next game. That's the and most of the time it's been in the Championship where you've got a game on a Tuesday. That is probably the beauty of it. I move on. The next game's coming up. I was pretty feathers after the Huddersfield defeat at Huddersfield last year, where me and Sammy did the Whispering podcast. Yeah, <laughs> that was that <laughs> was pretty whispering. Furious. Like yeah, I just, I, just, ASMR. I just I just don't let it get me down I'm no, just like, I mean you have I, you have to have some level you, of you know base kind yeah of, I'm just I like oh we, we lost yeah we, we were terrible etc but you know move on but yeah if I'm gonna pin it yeah probably was that bow and away game here's an easy one Daniel at read all over says was it fixed no <laughs> what Saturday yeah 
Yeah. <laughs> that good. Excellent. Keep moving. Chaz Charles, this is actually a really interesting question. He says, as good as Mitro is, are we not better suited to a striker that can press more effectively? I think this is a really interesting question. And after the QPR game, I started writing an article about how Kamara, while he lacks many things... He starts to pr- he, pr- he starts to press really well because he's fast and he, he basically just charges around at the top of the pitch, and it actually allows us to kind of start moves higher up the pitch than Mitro does because Mitro likes to sit a little bit deeper and doesn't quite press as effectively. I don't think it's are we better. I think maybe the question is, would Fulham be uh, should Fulham maybe be a bit more adaptable tactics wise, and would we be maybe a bit less afraid of taking Mitrovic off when the press isn't you know, going as it should be. Uh, I think it's an interesting point. I think it's some an element of uh, Mitrovic's game which is depleted since we seen, saw him join. When we saw him join on loan, he 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 was that player that used to press and charge down the keeper and so on. Would you not agree? Yeah, no. And I he's agree. he's obviously as he's become more kind of comfortable in the side and his role within it, uh, he's obviously become and sat deeper. But I feel like we're not in any position to suggest taking Mitrovic off. I feel like he's by far our best player, and and we we need him as long as he's fit and he's got legs and he's not you know like puffing steam because he's just completely run himself to the ground I think he should be on that pitch um, and we've got other options you know we can bring on Deca David or even stick Kamara up top as we saw in the QPR game to, to great effect so um, no I, I I feel if if Mitrovic is fit he plays and I don't think that's unfair either no not at all I, I don't think I don't think anyone's under the illusion that we should change from yeah. Mitrovic to it's, begin it with was, change it up if if it's if it looks like it's not working given what happened at QPR yeah and given that we were yes bad in the first half but actually quite good in the second and, and did look like we were dangerous and especially on the break when we were flying forwards with four four players absolutely careering down the pitch mm. I think there is an argument to think that if we are playing on the break we might be better off with a striker a who could lead spear I mean why not try it we, yeah I don't yeah Go for it. We'll see, we'll, see, we'll see how we go. I'm sure. I'm sure Scott. Once he's listened to this, we'll, uh, we'll start implementing. <laughs> as, as I'm sure he does. Okay. Last question. Christian Liebberg says, match the following players to a Christmas dinner ingredient and why? <laughs> this is my kind of question. Alexander Mitrovic, Josh Onoma, Joe Bryan, Kevin McDonald, Dom Betts. I'm going to start with you. Mitrovic is just different gravy. So it's gravy. <laughs> hey, very very good. Josh Onoma is definitely a sprout. <laughs> it's just. I love sprouts. Yeah, there we I are. Enjoy them. <laughs> like, yeah, just, divide divides opinion. No, it's just like it's just it's it's not like they're shit. It's just like that it's not really needed. Mm. Like, uh, ours is the crackers. Yeah, I mean, I <laughs> unpredictable. You know, you think I think I think Joe Bryan might be a glass of sherry. Like everyone really enjoys it, but the, it's questionable whether it's actually good for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that leaves. I wish you'd given us a heads up on this. I know. I mean, to be fair, I have just thrown you right (laughs) in the deep end. It leaves Kevin McDonald. Pigs in blanket. Just everybody's favourite. Yeah, Yeah, no, that works. That works. A little bit. What were the other ingredients? We've got roast potatoes in there. Who'll be the roast potato? No one's been a turkey yet. I think Alfie Mawson would be the potato. Yeah. Yeah, or just like... Just a solid... Or your Hansen, just in the middle doing all the work. (laughs) Who's parsnips? (laughs) <laughs> they also like divide opinions, so I, I think I think Kamara, you know, he's a bit, it's a bit unorthodox. You don't necessarily have it with every roast, but you know, he does sometimes a job. you chuck him in. Sometimes you chuck him in, and you're up. like, this is this is this is good. I'm enjoying what this is doing. Niska Tabano, cranberry sauce only appears once in a blue moon. But when it does, <laughs> absolutely delighted. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, George, it is over to you to name this podcast. So. 
Uh, it's from Fulamato, which is at uh, Donyo75, and Ratman and Robin. We'll go with that one. Ratman and Robin. Very, very good. All that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to George Cooper. Thanks, mate. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much, Don Betts. All right. We'll see you after Preston. We'll be back with a midweek special. So, you know, look forward to your double dose of Fulham this week. I've been Jack Collins. Thank you very much for listening. You works.